You're listening to the Blended Family Podcast, a weekly show with a strong focus on strategies and methods to help your family thrive. Blended families face many difficulties and challenges, which can sometimes drive families apart. The goal of this podcast is to help your blended family grow together through these challenges to create the peaceful and loving home you desire. Here is your host, Melissa. Hi, you're listening to the Blended Family Podcast, and this is episode number 126. For all of my moms out there, I hope that you had a nice Mother's Day. And if you haven't yet listened to last week's Mother's Day episode, go check it out. I featured three awesome mom podcasters that I think you're going to love. Today, we're getting back on mental illness, and I have an interview with a licensed therapist on the subject. I know I've been doing a lot of interviews lately, which isn't the norm for me. In the past, I've done mostly solo shows with some interviews sprinkled in. But with the topics I've been wanting to cover lately, sometimes I just think it's better to bring in an expert. Before we start, though, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Lisa0809 from Canada, who gave me a five-star review. She said, love hearing all the tips and suggestions from this podcast. It's nice to listen to other people experiencing the same things I have with a blended family and exes. Hearing Melissa's positivity about her life is so encouraging. Thank you so much, Lisa, for that review. Your reviews really help me out a lot in iTunes. They help me to get noticed, and they help other people choose which shows they want to listen to, right? If they have good reviews, you're more quick to want to take a listen to that show. So if you want to leave me a review, just go to blendedfamilypodcast.com slash iTunes, and if you do, I will read it here on the show. I have a packed schedule for the next few weeks. We have one kid graduating high school. Another one just finished all of her cheer competitions. We've got a dance recital coming up and just the usual end of the year chaos. School here lets out the end of May. So I've got about three weeks. And so it's possible, or I should say probable, that there will not be a show for Memorial Day. We'll also be out of town that weekend for a little adult fun, since after that weekend, it's going to be summer break for me, which is not a break for us parents. You all know what I mean. So I'm going to play this interview with my guest on mental illness, and I hope that you enjoy it. I'm really excited to have with me today John Cordray. John is a licensed professional counselor and a national certified counselor, and he owns a private practice in St. Louis, Missouri. John is also very active as a mental health advocate on social media and his podcast, The Mental Health Today Show. John's passion is to help as many people who are struggling with a mental illness and to help end the stigma that so often is associated with mental health. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks for joining me. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is a great topic. I can't wait to talk more about it. Yes. And John, the reason I asked you to come on the show is because, as I'm sure you know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And so all of my shows this month are focused around mental health. And I really wanted someone who could help me unpack some of this. And what I like about you is that you are not only a licensed therapist, but you also have a podcast and a YouTube channel, and you're really branching out in every avenue so that you can help as many people as you can. Now, my show is about blended families, but 
I get questions every day about mental health. People are hurting. Some of them are still dealing with exes who have some form of mental illness. Others have spouses, children, or stepchildren that are dealing with it. And really, we all want to know not only how to help those people in our lives, but also we want to know how to cope with them since we can't change what they're going through. So really excited you're here. Tons of information to cover. Uh, before we start, John, can you first tell us a little bit about yourself and why you got into the field of mental health? Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, well, just like you said, um, I am a licensed therapist and I'm also a national certified therapist. And I, I've been operating my private practice since 2009. Uh, so I've been a therapist since 2005, and I really enjoy what I do, seeing clients uh, in my office uh, week in, week out. I love helping them one-on-one, -on -one. but it was around June of 2015 is when I was introduced to the world of podcasting and social media, and I, I started to think, well, maybe I can use this platform to help even more people. I had no idea. Uh, I barely knew how to get a podcast started, but I knew I wanted to try it. I wanted to at least experiment and see maybe maybe some people you know, around the, the country might be able to listen to it. And it was the first week that I launched my podcast, I realized I was just blown away. Um, I was able to see thousands of people were listening all over the world, and then I started getting – uh, people to reach out to me and ask me questions. And, and that was the beginning of my experience as a licensed professional in the social media world. And then a few months after that, I get introduced to live video streaming with Periscope and then later Facebook Live and YouTube. So I, I use all those avenues and platforms to help people around the world who are struggling and who may not have access to a therapist and maybe just listening to one can be helpful uh, if they can't have actual access to mental health care. It's absolutely true. A lot of people don't. And I love interviewing other podcasters because I truly believe in the platform. You can only reach so many people in your private practice. And with your podcast and YouTube channel, you can reach so many more. Um, tell me a little bit more about the podcast. I, I know why you started it. So you can reach people. What kind of topics do you cover on your podcast and, in, and on your channel? Yeah. Well, it's called the Mental Health Today Show. And so I talk a lot about anxiety and depression. And I try to get people who are listening to, to submit topics as well. Uh, but the bulk of it would be anxiety, depression, uh, bipolar, uh, OCD, anger, um, how, to, how to cope with it, and what to do when you have a friend or a family member who suffers from it. Uh, and so that's the bulk of my content. And um, my goal is to reach and, and talk about a lot of different topics of mental health. Um, we, we, we can be talking about that for a long, long time. Uh, but I want to be as specific and in, in, within my expertise. And that would be the depression and anxiety, most of the, mostly uh, in that area of, of uh, mental health. Well, that makes a lot of sense because these days it seems almost everybody you talk to uh, struggles with those two things. So let's dive right in here. We don't have enough time to get into every single mental illness there is, just to name some like you said, anxiety, bipolar, borderline personality disorder, schizophrenia, depression, narcissistic personality disorder, PTSD, substance abuse, eating disorders, 
And as you know, I can go on and on. The list is extensive. Really, we could do an interview on each one of those. So to condense it all into one show, we're just going to scratch the surface here. But I want to start with the most common and most troublesome issue that my blended families face, and that is dealing with an ex who has some form of mental illness. And I think the hardest thing about this is an ex is an ex for a reason. Perhaps the mental illness was one of the causes of the divorce. I tell my listeners all the time that they cannot control anyone else, just their own reactions, but it's not easy dealing with an ex who's struggling. So, John, how do we cope with an ex, and how do we help our children cope with a parent who's battling mental illness? Yeah, great question. I get that often. Um, obviously, you cannot control what the other person does or what they say. You can't You can't control them, even though you may want to at some point. You can only work on your own boundaries. And, and that's what I would encourage whoever's listening to this and might have an ex that um, they maybe they, they have – borderline or bipolar or some other mental health issues, or maybe it's just really mean and angry. And the, the biggest thing I would encourage you to do, one, you need to have a support system, maybe friends or a family member that you can trust, someone that you can go to and just kind of vent and get their support. Because so often um, people feel alone. And when they have a conflict like this, it makes it even worse. And so that's the first thing that I would suggest is, is to get a support network and then work on your own coping skills. You may need to go to see a therapist, maybe not forever, but for a while, and learn how to have healthy boundaries and what does that look like and, and to be able to say no and not feel bad about it. And so you have to work on your own negative self-talk. That's great. And I want to talk about narcissism for a moment. And the reason is because it is by far the most talked about in my community. So please explain for those who don't know exactly what it is. And is it considered a form of mental illness or is it a personality trait? Yes, both. <laughs> so it's actually a personality disorder. Okay. Uh, it's a, it's a DSM-5 diagnosis. It's called the Narcissistic Personality Disorder. And when we're talking about personality disorders, it's very, very difficult to cope with, to deal with. And someone who is narcissistic, that's even harder because they believe they can do no wrong. Right. That's not their fault. They push the blame on other people, and they are very self-absorbed with very little empathy, if, if, none, if any at all. And so they're the center of their universe, and everybody else is, is wrong. They're right. And they'll make all the excuses as possible to say it, to why they're not wrong and blame it on other people. So that is a difficult one. And that's where you really – if you think you have somebody that has narcissistic – at least the tendencies, maybe not full-blown personality disorder, but tendencies – I would encourage you, again, to develop your own self-worth, work on you and your boundaries, because that person is going to make you feel small. They're going to try to point out all the things that you're doing wrong and all the things they're doing right. And so you have to be able to, to work on your own self-confidence 
And when you have lived with someone who's narcissistic, you start to develop the, this negative thoughts on yourself, and that might produce some anxiety within you. Yeah. So you, you really need some professional help to help guide you through this. Yeah, and I would even say that for kids too. If you have, if they have a parent who's a narcissist, I think kids need help too because a narcissistic parent, I believe, can really break down a child's self-esteem. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's vital for the, uh, the the parent to go to the children and let them know that they are not wrong, that they are loved, to validate how they how they are feeling, who they are as a person. And just tell them that mommy or daddy is just struggling with some anger and it's not their fault because the kids will naturally assume that they did something wrong to make them angry at them. Yeah. And so when it comes to an ex who's a narcissist, it's pretty clear what you're saying is we can't do anything about anybody, whether it's an ex, a spouse, we just have to work on ourselves really to learn how to deal with those people. So, um, okay, well, we'll move on. Because my listeners are blended families, one major concern is sending our kids to the ex's home when we know there's a mental illness present. And not all mental illnesses are diagnosed. And so it's not always possible to keep our children away from that parent. So what are some signs to look for that tell us it's not safe for our kids to be around that parent? Well, I think the biggest indicator is is the behavior of the child. There's always a hard transition period when the children go back and forth from the home. Yes. <laughs> because, well, because there's different, a lot of times, different parenting standards. One parent may want to be the best friend and not have any rules in the home at all, and the other has rules and tries to keep order, and the child doesn't like that, or they're confused with the transition. But when it's somebody... The ex has a mental illness, and maybe it's bipolar, and, and they get really angry, or they get really depressed. And maybe the child, again, starts to think, well, what did I do wrong? What's wrong with me? So the other the, the parent who has the ex with an with a, uh, ex with a mental illness, and the child comes home, you want to look for signs. What are the signs to look for? And, and that would be, is there isolation or withdrawal? Maybe they used to be happy or maybe they left happy and laughing, and but they come home, you can just tell something's wrong. Right. And maybe they're more emotional or they have mood swings themselves. So you look for the signs if they withdraw, uh, if they get angry themselves, mm. if they get really sad. So you want to, you really want to look for the signs. But then depending on how old the child is, you can sit down and talk with them and say, how did it go? And tell me, how, how would it make you feel? What are some things that maybe, you, did you see anything or hear anything that was concerning? And so you just really try to open up the, 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 the whole communication and the, and the conversation with the child. That's vital. Okay. And well, let's shift a little and discuss what happens in our own family when we live with someone who suffers from a mental illness. So not the ex, but a current spouse. We'll talk about kids a little bit later. So here, I'm just talking about a partner or a spouse. And this is tough in a different way. At least with an ex, you're not exposed to it every day. But when it's someone you love and you do see every day, it can really put a strain on a relationship. So John, what's your advice here? How do we help and how do we cope when the person we love most is suffering from a mental illness? Right. Yeah. And uh, what I would suggest, if, if your listeners or somebody is listening to this, 
and that's them. And maybe they say, that's me. I would say and encourage them to find a therapist and talk to them. I know I'm a little biased because I am a therapist, but you need that professional objective advice. Right. That is just them, that there's only one in the room and nobody else can hear them. And it's private and it's confidential. And you need to be able to say, hey, my spouse is acting up. I don't know how to deal with it. And you need someone, a professional to come alongside you. And help guide you in that. And you also need an opportunity to share the burden because you're not necessarily going to want to share that type of burden to your friends or your parents or family members. Well, Um, I imagine that's why so many people feel alone because you don't want to share that with people closest to you because maybe it's embarrassing or maybe it's very personal or private or you don't want family members to judge your spouse. And so I agree uh, being able to unpack it with somebody that's professional that can help validate the way you feel would probably be extremely helpful. Um, I do have a couple of listener questions about these things, and I was saving them in the hopes that you could help answer them. Uh, The first one was really long. I shortened it a bit, but it says, I recently blended families with my partner, and we've been living together for 10 months now. Prior to moving in together, we moved very slowly and did a lot of play dates for the first year and kept our relationship from the kids while we built our friendship and love. Moving in together was not taken lightly, and we knew there would be challenges along the way. Where the challenges really come in is that he was diagnosed with bipolar 2 and depression a little over a year ago. This is no surprise to me as I was well aware before his diagnosis and after and vowed to love him and build a life despite his illness. Prior to living together, he would often retreat and not speak to me or connect when he was having lows. Living together and having to deal with someone who is mostly down at times is taking its toll on me. I never know what to expect when I walk in the door each night. He is off work for the winter as his job is seasonal, and this definitely adds to the daily stresses and depression. I love him and the family we built together, but some weeks are extremely difficult. I am unsure how to connect with him and communicate effectively during these times. So... um, what let's talk about bipolar a little bit and and tell us what is your advice to her how does she communicate better with him and connect with him sure bipolar is a, just extreme mood swings and there's bipolar 1 and bipolar 2 and it sounds like your listeners talking about bipolar 2 where it's uh, without the without um, the presence of a manic phase and a manic phase is someone that's very very happy almost over the top and they tend to be impulsive during that manic phase, and sometimes they'll overspend or they'll do things, maybe take risk that they wouldn't normally do in the manic phase. And then it goes the opposite way, down, down, down to severe depression. Uh, but bipolar 2, bipolar 1 is with manic and depression. Bipolar 2, it's without the manic. And so this is someone who's depressed a lot, and maybe sometimes it comes out in anger, and so it's an angry, depressive person. And that's very hard. And a lot of the things I've already mentioned about boundaries and uh, learning to have um, just your positive self-talk and to to recognize that what they're saying, what they're doing is not personal. They're depressed, but it doesn't mean they're depressed because they don't love you. And so you have to, one, not allow the negative thoughts to, to influence you. But then it interferes with other things, romance and communication and wanting to go out and just have fun together. And that's difficult. And so your spouse, if, if your spouse is the one that's depressed, they're going to feel even worse because they want to do that too, but they can't. Right. 
So for you, again, it's so it's very, very important to have a support network. So you don't want to do this alone. And so if you're if you're by yourself day in and day out, you're gonna get depressed yourself. Yeah. So you need to go out and, and let your spouse know, hey, I love you, but I need to go and spend some time with friends. I need to go out and self-care is so, so important. And then you and your spouse then can go to a to, to couples counseling and to work through that itself. So you'll you'll you're hearing a, a theme here. Yes. And just make sure you don't put it off going to a, a professional. It doesn't mean that there's that you're bad or there's something wrong with you. It just means that you're struggling and you need someone to come alongside you. Yeah. Uh, and and when somebody is is down in their dark depression of let's say bipolar, um, is it best to give that person space or is it best to try and approach them? What would you say? Well, it, it kind of depends on the situation. The, the first thing that I would say, you're going to want to come up with a solution. Let's do something to make you happy. That's a natural response. You want to make your spouse happy, but it's not that easy. And I think the best thing that you can do is, is just tell your spouse, hey, I'm not going anywhere. I love you. We're going to get through this together. And I'm just going to be here. There, there's a power in just presence, being in a room together. And, and, and the, the depressed spouse is not necessarily needing you to come up with a solution because they're thinking that there isn't one at right. that point. So just acknowledge together that it's hard. But also to allow just – there might be times to challenge and say, hey, let's just go for a walk. Mm-hmm. Let's just go to the park and just sit and be outside and let the sunshine come in and, and feel that sunshine and just enjoy – try to enjoy the outdoors. But l- think of it little by little so it's not every day. And just ask as in a form of a question, hey, would you be – willing or able to go out for a walk today. And that'd be great. I would love to do that with you. And so you want to you want to be honest with how you're feeling, but also you don't want to let your spouse feel like you're getting depressed because of them because that adds and compounds to the Yeah, then the, they'll feel even worse, of course. Yeah. Okay. And so and then I have another question I'll read to you. This one says I'm newly married and blended. I have two children. My wife doesn't have any bio kids. She was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder before we met. I really didn't understand the complexity of her condition until we lived together. It is really taking a toll on our relationship, and also it is starting to affect my children. Her moods are unpredictable. She sometimes lashes out, and then other times she seems to be fine. I find that I'm afraid to come home, and my kids are wanting to be here less. I don't want to give up on my blended family, but I really need help. So, John, borderline personality disorder is not talked about as much. So first, if you can explain what that is, and then tell this listener what he should do here. Sure. Yeah, borderline personality disorder, uh, it's, it's, um, it's another one of those very difficult situations to live with. Typically, something traumatic happened in their childhood. It's very traumatic. Maybe they, they experienced a near-death experience or maybe they witnessed somebody else. And so it just developed typically in childhood. And then what happens, it, it prevents lasting relationships and it prevents and it causes a lot of conflict. And sometimes someone with borderline personality disorder will flee the relationship and it might, they might leave and might come back 
and they might leave again and not come back for a long time because it's you just never know the consistency because there's a lack of trust. There's a lack of um, a lot of times a lack of em- empathy as well. And so somebody with with a borderline personality disorder, some of the there's some techniques out there that are very helpful in that situation, like DBT, which is dialectical uh, behavioral therapy. And so if you're a spouse and you you suspect or you know that your other your spouse is, is suffering from borderline personality disorder, I would encourage you to find a therapist that specializes in DBT. What can you explain what that is a little bit? Uh, dialectical behavioral therapy is designed specifically for those with borderline personality disorders. And it helps it's it, it involves um, visualization and also just the the uh, opportunity to work and walk through that traumatic experience that they went through. Uh, well, that makes a lot of sense because that so probably both, releases some of that. Yes. And so it's both individual and then there's also group. And so they're with other people in the group as well that suffer with the same thing. Okay. Okay. So, um, and so definitely get that person into therapy. Um, as far as when, for the, the listener that wrote in, when he's home with her and she is lashing out um, or she is behaving in an unpredictable way, what, how should he handle that? Well, one of the things I would recommend is that you talk with and have a plan before she gets to that point. Okay. So you can sit down and say, hey, you know, sometimes you remember sometimes maybe the last fight we had and, and you really got upset and maybe you broke something or you threatened uh, to harm me in some way. You remember that? And so you're, you're talking about it and say, what, what can I do to help you when you get to that point? Mm. Uh, because you want that person to give some input. Because if they're a part of the process, they're going to be more likely to respond to you if you have it already planned out ahead of time. Okay. Because what happens is, is if you don't have a plan for the next time, you're going to react yourself. And most of the time, it's going to be a negative reaction. So you got to have a plan before you go uh, and, and, and wait to the next explosion. Uh, because if you react negatively, the other person's going to react even more negatively, and it's not going to end well. Okay. And then to those children, um, what's the best thing to tell the children how to explain to them that maybe, you know, that parent doesn't mean to act the way that they act? What would you, I mean, I right. know it depends on the ages of the kids, but generally, what would you say? Yeah. And, and I could just reassure the kids that they didn't do anything wrong and that mommy or daddy is is struggling with anger and they're working on it. And sometimes they say things and do things out of anger that they don't mean to say or do. And it, it, just to reassure them and, and to, to ignore it's not going to be good because your kids will then develop their own way of thinking. And if you don't address it, something that's obvious, like a, a blow up, then it's, then it's not going to help them resolve conflict. So you want to help the kids, let them know, explain it, uh, you know, be direct about it. Hey, you know, mommy or daddy got really angry. Let's talk about it. How do you feel about it? And, and I just want you to know that mommy or daddy is working on it and they do things that they don't mean to do sometimes, but it's not your fault. 
Yeah, because I think kids uh, all the time, a lot, kids will take on responsibility of things that had nothing to do with them and they think it was their fault. And you said something earlier that I think is true with this, this listener as well is not to take things personal when somebody in your life is acting that way. And I think that's really difficult to do because this is somebody that you love and this is, you know, in your mind, you think, why are they treating me this way? Why are they acting this way? But it really isn't about you. It's about them. And I think one of the key things for people is to not take things personal. But like you said, you need to work with a therapist about that because we can't always just do that. That's, that's a learned process, I think. Right, exactly. Okay, let's move on and talk about children. All of my listeners are parents, whether they're bio or step. And so I think it's really important to talk about the mental health of our children. And I myself am raising teenagers. And by observing them and their friends, there seems to me to be a rise in mental health illnesses among our youth. And when I say that, I mean from back from when we were young until now. I feel like we had struggles when we were kids, but we seem to cope with it better than the kids of today. What are your thoughts on that? You know, that's a good question because a lot of things that are happening now, I think they, they were happening years ago. We just didn't know about it and wasn't brought out, uh, brought out to light like it is now. Okay. So there um, just weren't conversations about it, but you think it was still there? Yeah. you know, Or it might have been a misdiagnosis, mm-hmm. uh, but anxiety, depression, anger, you know, those have all been self-harm. That, that's been around for a long, long time. But now we are able to see more about it. There's TV shows about it now. There's news reports about it. And, and so we're just more aware of what's going on. You know, we can say that the rise of technology, the rise of um, you know, the self-esteem and self-worth, uh, I think that plays a part of it. But I don't think it's the cause of it. I think it's been around for a long time. We're just now learning more about it. That's kind of true. I I mean, that is true because when I was growing up, I had anxiety, but I didn't know that I had anxiety until I became an adult. And now looking back, I can say that, but my parents didn't know. And so, um, and anxiety and depression, like you said, seem to be the most common these days, especially among the kids. It almost seems like they can't handle anything that's too difficult. And I'm very open about the fact that I have two children who have major anxiety and social anxiety issues, and they also struggle with bouts of depression. So the first thing I want to know here is how do we determine if there is actually a serious issue or if it's just typical teenage angst and emotions? Yeah. Well, you want to obviously you look and see if there's some major problems. If they withdraw, maybe they were happy last year and they were in sports and they did things that they really enjoyed. But this year, something's different. Something's off. You maybe not know exactly what it is, but you can tell something's different. They're, they're more withdrawn. They're more quiet. Maybe they used to be more outgoing, but now they don't go out as much. Um, maybe they, they change the style of their clothing. Sudden swings. Uh, of their moods. And, and so there's, there's things that you can watch for that might lead to the anxiety and depression. Like if, if um, you look on their arm and they have a couple cuts and maybe you think, well, it's just, just a scratch. Well, that might be an indication that something's deeper going on. But when someone is just a teenager is just kind of angry and, and just kind of it's, it's snooty. That's probably teenage angst, but it, you can kind of tell a lot of times if there's something, their whole personality has changed. 
that is something that's more concerning. Okay. Okay. And, and depression can be really scary, especially if it's our own child who's dealing with that. And of course, as a parent, we're all terrified of a child who's depressed because the first thing we think about, of course, is suicide. Mm -hmm. So what's the best way to handle a depressed child or a child that's threatening suicide? You know, I, this is very, very scary for parents. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also I, what I would say, if there's a suicide in their school, uh, a lot of times kids that triggers other kids who are on the verge of attempting suicide. And so if you have in your neighborhood or in your school, someone that committed suicide, you want to make sure you go and talk with your child about it um, and just let them know, hey, if, if you're struggling with this, if you have questions about it, hey, please come to us. And, you know, just let them know that you're, you're going to be there and, and, and just just keep an eye on them for a while. Uh, but, yeah, depression is can be scary when it comes to our kids because a lot of times they keep it to themselves. Uh, my very first client that I had uh, in 2005, uh, it was worth a, a school uh, had contacted me and gave me a letter. It was a suicide letter of a junior high boy. And the junior high boy came in and talked with me. And, and as, as we were talking more, he said, I pretend on the outside that I'm happy, but on the inside I'm dying. Mm -hmm. Because he didn't want other people to know that there was something wrong. And then he said, well, maybe if I just pretend long enough, I will be happy. And so that was kind of an eye-opener for me that even kids who act happy on the outside can be really hurting on the inside. And so that's why as parents, you're the best advocate that your kids have. They are with you a lot at home. And so you keep an eye on them. And if you suspect that they are withdrawing from you and, and they, their personality has changed, you want to address that. But just because they're depressed or down or sad does not necessarily mean the next step is suicide. Right. Well, here's, here's another question. This is actually a personal question because, like I said, I have a child that suffers from depression sometimes and anxiety, and she refuses to seek therapy. Um, this has been something that's been going on for years. Uh, she's got some other issues too. You know, she used to have some behavioral issues, but we have been trying for years to get her into therapy. We've brought her to therapy, um, and she has refused to participate to the point where the therapist will actually say, she's not ready. This isn't going to work and, and turned us away. And that has happened three or four times with three or four different therapists. And, um, even though she's getting older now, she's still, she'll talk to me a little bit more, but she still does not, I don't know what the mental block is with her. I don't know what she's afraid of or what she fears. I've told her I can go with her. She can go alone, whatever she wants, but she will not go. So what should I do about that? You know, I just was talking to some parents last night, the exact same thing. They, they, they want their teenage son to come see me, but he refuses to come but it's clearly that he's depressed and you can't make them as right. much as you want to. You, you want to just pick him up and, and take him to the therapist office and sit him down and you want them to open up and talk and, and they're not going to more than likely, they have to be the one that's motivated. So that's one of the reasons why I went on social media, the podcast and my videos, because I direct a lot of parents to say, Hey, maybe your son or daughter can watch or listen and, and as they get to know me and, and hear about uh, these different topics, they might be more willing to open up. 
That's a really good idea. I actually hadn't even thought about letting her watch some of your videos, and that makes a lot of sense because for children who don't want to open up to a therapist, it's a perfect way uh, for them to listen in and get some advice and also realize that they're not alone. So uh, that's true. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll do that. I'll tell her about you. Um, let's talk about the anxiety piece. I, I, like I said, I grew up with anxiety too, but I learned how to cope with it on my own without medication or help. Uh, I watched my family take medication for things, and I, I had just been very against it. And I don't know what your views are on medication, John, but I am opposed to offering it to kids, at least not until exhausting all other options. And I'm leery about it because, like I told you, I watched my own mom take prescription medication, and I really feel like it messed up her life for some time. So tell me, what is your opinion about this? And and also, how do we help the child that is suffering from anxiety? Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I, I take the standpoint from I want to give as many tools and resources and skills uh, that the child can use before they go to medication. But sometimes, how, depending on how severe it is, if you need it, you need it. Um, but my my personal experience would be uh, if the child is willing and they recognize that they have an issue, let's say it's anxiety and maybe it's social anxiety and they can't go to school because of the of the anxiety. If they're willing to come in and talk about it, now that's hard because it's social anxiety. That means they have to come in and talk to somebody. That's very difficult. But if they're willing to come and address their issues and for a therapist to have I, – I do a lot of CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, and that's basically it's to saying, okay, here, here's some skills or I call them tools to work on, and you almost you just kind of give an assignment. So you work on this at home and whatever the, the tool is and see if it works, and then we come back. Let's tweak it and work on it some more. So that's my goal is to help kids to develop their skills and coping mechanisms without the medication. But sometimes it's just severe enough where they have to. Uh, that's a hard call for a lot of parents because if they go to their doctor or to a psychiatrist, more than likely the doctor is going to say, yeah, here's a prescription. Well, I, I do believe that sometimes medication is necessary. Uh, I've told this story on the podcast before that I took my daughter recently just for a regular visit to the doctor. And I had mentioned, you know, her feelings with her anxiety and things like this. And before we did anything else, he, he wanted to throw medication at her. And I had even told him right now, that's not the route that we want to go because by the way, she's, she was not even 16 yet. And so I said, we want to try some other things. And, and I understand he wanted her to go to therapy. And of course she's not willing to do that. So he didn't know what else to offer, but he offered her both, um, both Xanax and, uh, something in an antidepressant as well. And when I was leaving the office after I told him I wasn't interested in that, he handed me the prescription anyway and just said, here you go, just in case. And so I do, I, I, I know that sometimes medication is necessary. I just don't believe on pushing it unless we've tried other options. And I want to just backtrack just for a second real quick, because I think that we didn't talk about this. Can you just explain the difference between anxiety and then social anxiety for people that don't know? Sure. Uh, anxiety, I, I describe anxiety as worry intensified. So there's worry. Worry is more temporary. 
So maybe they're worried about a test or maybe about uh, losing a job or something that's situational. You worry about it and that comes to pass and, and, and then you're feeling okay. Anxiety is intensified, meaning that you're really, really worried that something bad is going to happen and it just doesn't really go away. Sometimes anxiety comes out of nowhere and you don't know – there's no explanation for it. You just feel that way. There's a diagnosis called generalized anxiety and that's what that is. It's just the anxiety is just always in the background and it's hard to cope with sometimes. But social anxiety is it's an actual phobia and that's the actual technical term. It's social phobia where you actually have an intense fear of being around people. And whether it's going to school or going to the workplace uh, or just going to the grocery store, it's very difficult. And sometimes people have a hard time talking to somebody on the phone because they're worried. They have what I call an imaginary audience that people are going to judge them if they mess up. And they just know it. They know that they're going to mess up and embarrass themselves. And so that's what social phobia is. It a lot of times it prevents people from getting out. And a severe case of it is called agoraphobia, and that's where you're kind of a prisoner in your own home. You can't get out. You feel like you can't get anywhere, and that causes a lot of conflict, internal conflict. And do those things usually come from something that happens in someone's life, or are you born with that? That is a both and. Yeah, there's three three main ways that you can have anxiety or depression or a lot of mental illnesses. And the one is it's hereditary, it's biological, it's part of your DNA. There's nothing that you could do about it. It's just a part of your, your heritage. Mm-hmm. Then there's environmental, and environmental is where you grow up. And maybe it's a very com- conflictual environment or a very harmful environment. Um, maybe they had... Um, diseased, and that's that's environmental. That that actually can cause some anxiety and depression. And then the third one, it's situational. Something that happened that you didn't want to happen, but it did, and it really threw you for a loop. And that can cause anxiety or depression as well. Okay. This is all really valuable information. Uh, but John, we're running out of time, and I knew that we couldn't possibly discuss everything. But I really think we hit on a lot of important topics today. But before we go, please tell my listeners, again, all that you have to offer and how they can connect with you. Sure. Yeah, uh, my podcast is the Mental Health Today Show. And uh, if you whatever podcast app that you listen to, just type in the Mental Health Today Show. You should, should be able to, to listen to that. And then I also have a YouTube channel. Uh, my YouTube channel is youtube.com slash John P. Cordray. And then I also have a Facebook page. I do Facebook Live as well. And, and that's the Mental Health Today show on Facebook. Good. And I'm going to put all of those links in the show notes for my listeners. And also, I'd love to give you an opportunity to offer any last words of advice for my listeners or share anything else that you think is important that we might have left out. Sure. Uh, One of the things that I would just encourage your listeners to, whether they are the ones that suffer themselves or maybe they're um, uh, significant other or or an ex-spouse or whoever, if you are struggling, you're probably going to deal with an, with what I call an inner critic. And the inner critic is going to say things like, you're no good, you're a loser, you're insignificant, you're not good enough. 
And when you start thinking that, I want to encourage you to stop and to just tell yourself and confirm to yourself that, wait a minute, I'm beating myself up here. I'm being my worst critic here. I need to stop this negative self-talk, and I need to start thinking more positive, and I need to work on myself, whether it's maybe I need to exercise more, maybe I need to, to actually drink more water, get more healthy my eating, or get enough sleep, or maybe I just need to smile more. But there are things that you can do to work on being more positive in your life. So fight the negative thoughts and really promote the positive ones. And I think that's going to help you every single day. That is wonderful advice. John, thank you so much for coming on the show today to talk about such an important topic. Well, thanks for having me. It was was a lot of fun. Thank you. Listeners, I hope that today's show was helpful to you. If someone in your life suffers from a mental illness or condition, please share this with others that you think can benefit from the information. Connect with John and listen to his show, Mental Health Today. I will put all of his links in the show notes for you. Thank you so much for listening and join me next week as we continue to discuss mental health on the Blended Family Podcast. Bye. You have been listening to the Blended Family Podcast. For more information, please visit the website at blendedfamilypodcast.com. Remember, to create the peaceful home you desire, all you need is love.